everyone, you're listening to this thing called school, my mommy's podcast. Her name is Dr. Jennifer Chapman, and she told me she created it as a place for educators to communicate, create, and share best practices that help make schools better for kids everywhere. Enjoy! just like that. Hey, welcome back to This Thing Called School, a podcast hosted by me. I'm Dr. Jennifer Chapman, in case you forgot. I know it's been a minute, (laughs) but welcome to uh, 2021. We made it, (laughs) y'all. It's been a little bit of time since we uh, last shared this space, and I've had a few things happen since August of 2020. Um, Yes, as many of you already know, um, as you're listening, that uh, we are still in the grips of COVID-19. But as I record today, today's episode, um, it is Martin Luther King Day 2021. And I'll get back to that. But we are still, you know, dealing with COVID-19, which, uh, as viruses do, has mutated or created variants. And uh, schools are still primarily closed, primarily closed. The, you know, hotly debated presidential election has taken place and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will be uh, sworn in in two days, less than 48 hours um, as the new president and vice president of the United States, respectively. Our country uh, has been in a crisis, (laughs) Uh, you know, even though I said today is uh, Martin Luther King Day 2021, uh, just a few days ago, 12 to be exact, on January 6th, uh, which is the day that the Electoral College was to be confirmed, thousands of people descended upon Washington, D.C. to protest. Um, and I have air quotes right now, right? But uh, to protest what they have come to believe was a stolen election and attended a rally called save what was it to to save america something to that effect um hosted by yours not yours truly but hosted by the 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 current president or current occupant of the white house and um the crowd you know was there to support him and while there you know the current president said things like literally these are quotes we won this election and we won it by landslide as well as we will stop the steal and we will never give up. We will never concede it doesn't happen. And my personal favorite, which has gotten uh, the wheels of impeachment turning already, which is passed in the house, um, you know, first president to be impeached twice. If you don't fight like hell, you're not gonna have a country anymore and we are going to the Capitol. But you see, my friends, uh, there was no we. So supporters marched to the Capitol and pretty much as a violent mob, broke into the Capitol, caused members of the House and the Senate, as well as the vice president who was ushered out by Secret Service to shelter in place while hundreds of people trespassed in the building. They rioted, okay? It was a, it, it was a straight up riot. They vandalized offices, stole federal property, taunted, beat, and and ultimately just walked out of the building. This was going on for, I I don't know, several hours, three or four hours. (laughs) 
Y'all, can we take a minute here? Just take a minute. We're going to. And just think about if the hue of the crowd was different. This time around, there was no in mass police or military response, even though there was chatter for weeks about this occurring. No rubber bullets. None of what be- none of what occurs before black and brown people even think about organize, let alone actually do. Can you say COINTELPRO? Okay. Thus far, uh, there's actually five people that have died as re- you know related to this nonsense and this demonstration of white fragility and rage. It's crazy. I mean, just crazy. Uh, what's my takeaway? As it is most of the time <laughs> when discussing community or societal ills, education is the key, man. Inclusive and equitable, equitable education is truly the rising tide to lift all boats. And that, boys and girls, is why I created this thing called school. (laughs) This space is for folks in and around education to share their stories in effort to create these best practices to have that rising tide. We're starting this year. uh, That's like a big inhale and exhale because it's a lot. I mean, I I am not um, exaggerating or understating just how much um, emotional labor it takes to move through the day, period. To be living in this time and witness um, what's happening. So this year on this thing called school, we are starting with a conversation at the top of the proverbial food chain in a school district, which would be the superintendent. If you are unaware or unfamiliar, a superintendent superintendent of schools is much like the CEO of a privately held company. They are in charge of and responsible for the day-to-day aspects of all parts of the school district. But they are still beholden to the Board of Education, which uh, operates much like, you know, um, a board in a privately held company. A superintendent, sometimes people feel, uh, is able to just, you know, move through uh, decision-making without being held accountable to anyone, but that's not the case. It's not a dictatorship. And uh, we're going to hear from Dr. Jim Peterson, uh, who, you know, I always like to say in full disclosure who somebody is, but uh, this is my former boss back when I first started, you know, um, in the education space as a classroom teacher in East Orange. And so Dr. James Peterson, I, you know, people um, get very formal, (laughs) but Dr. James Peterson is currently the superintendent for the Essex County Schools of Technology which is an award-winning school district in New Jersey. Uh, His career in education spans over 25 years and includes a variety of instructional administrative positions, which we get into in the conversation. He's had a wonderful journey, uh, which has led to his insight as a leader. He has had the opportunity to teach as an adjunct professor at um, Felician University, Montclair University, and Delaware Valley University, uh, all of which are in New Jersey. Peterson is the author of several articles and two books focusing on education. The first one from 2013, uh, which is entitled The Rise of the Millennial Parents, 
And then in 2015, he released Summer Versus School, The Possibilities of the Year-Round School. He and his wife, Faith, have three adorable daughters. And, uh, you know, in addition to Dr. Peterson and all, you know, all of all of this stuff, uh, all of his accolades and all of his accomplishments, I've known him for over 15 years. Um, when I began my teaching career in East Orange, New Jersey, uh, Dr. Peterson, or Mr. Peterson, as I knew him back then, was a new administrator at the high school where we both worked and a district where he earlier served as an English teacher. He'll get into this as as we talk, but um, I, I really appreciate him being here and sharing his view from the top. Okay. Good morning, Dr. James Peterson. How are you doing? <laughs> Wonderful. That's the formal, the formal, uh, the formal greeting. I mean, I knew you as Mr. Peterson, but before we'll get into our history, but I want to welcome you to the podcast. I really appreciate you making time. I know that your schedule is super busy with the family and the school district. So we'll jump right into it. And why don't you, uh, you know, tell us, you know, where, what do you do and, and where do you do it? Yeah. So my, my father was a, a teacher and administrator, and he told me, don't become a teacher. So that's how we start off. And, okay. and I didn't, and I didn't. And when I was in college, I was trying to find a, a job mm -hmm. and I found a job as a paraprofessional in a school for children with autism. And now uh, today that doesn't seem as uh, unique, but back in the you know early nineties, mm -hmm. that was very, very, very unique. And to have an entire school just for students with, with uh, who were on the, um, the spectrum it was very, very different. So uh, I became a one-on-one -on -one, uh, aide for a kid who had violent schizophrenia and he had autism. Wow. And I didn't, it was just supposed to be a gig to get me through college. And it turned into a lot more. And it turned into like really understanding and working directly with, with that uh, students. And I said, let me become a, you know, a teacher. So I, I was already involved in trying to, uh, in an English degree mm -hmm. uh, because I loved, my passion was English and literature. And then uh, I pivoted to, to education, but because I had so many credits already in English, I just became an English uh, major, vowing that I would come back and get my special ed cert and teach special education. And up until the principal died, which was only about maybe five, six years ago, that offer was still open. He would have, uh, wow. Mr. Dines, who was a, <clears throat> excuse me, was a, uh, was a great principal, very different, very old school, but he, he kept that door open for me. So I, at that point, I started in East Orange, and I was a teacher in East Orange. Which is where Arch, we met. Which is where we met. Uh, and I was from Jersey City, but although East Orange is, is itself a city, it's a very unique city. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of like a suburb of Newark, as more, mm -hmm. as more of a city. And it was very different for me because it was, it was actually more, more uh, connected and there were like the families, there were a lot of generations that were repeated in there. And so it was, a, there was a lot of ties. And I had not really experienced that coming from a bigger city that where there was a lot of transient uh, you know, people moving in and out. So that was kind of interesting, nor did I even understand Essex County and Newark, Newark being one of the large, you know, the largest city in our, in our, in New Jersey. Right. So that was very interesting. And then after that, I really got, I never got back to special ed. I got my first master's in special ed. Uh, and I just, then I fell in love with teaching English. I still kept in contact with the, the teachers from the, the previous school, 
but I love teaching English. And then I just wanted to do a little bit more. I felt like I was involved in a lot of stuff like student council and, and all of those things. And I, I just wanted to have a bigger impact. It wasn't about titles. It wasn't about anything. And, and I, I think I work really hard and you could, you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I work, <laughs> I work, I work so hard that the biggest compliment that ever happened was when I became an assistant principal, people told me you were an assistant principal. They had thought I had been as because right, I had right, right. so many roles and I did it without a title. And I think that's really super important as far as leadership is concerned, being able to motivate people and do things without that title, because some people falsely believe that if you have the title, you can get people to do whatever you want. Motivation is something different. You know, you could always, the, the title is the last resort. And if you start using that because I'm so-and-so, I think you've already lost. So that was the biggest compliment. And then from there, we went through a bunch of transitions and uh, in, uh, in administration. And I, and that allowed me to, to visit all of the, 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 um, all of the, the areas of what it means to be at least a secondary, uh, administrator, mm -hmm. discipline, uh, security, scheduling, uh, budgeting, you know, and after a certain point, when you do the entire rotation, you start to go, what else is there? And that's when I decided to become a principal. And I only applied one place, was only interviewed one place and I got the job. Um, and, it and it was interesting. It was like a 12, 13 people on the interview, interviewing me, shooting me questions. Mm -hmm. And um, it, I got the job and, I, and it was a blue collar suburb. And I always say this, this is, I think this is interesting. I hope your audience will find it interesting. I worked in, in major urban areas, grew up in major urban areas my entire life and never had any problems. And the first time I got into any physical fights with parents, parents attacking me was in the mm -hmm. suburbs. Yep. And part of me questioned saying, I remember having kids who were third generation gang members who I felt safer with. And, be, and, and it, I really was, now that was, that was a great community too. And I learned more about community ties and uh, they're very passionate people in that suburb, but it was definitely, it was, Another another example like East Orange where the ties, you just saw so many people who had, it was almost like kind of Hatfields and McCoys. People yeah. had been there so long that they had these, these you know, entrenched issues and, and, and whatever, uh, just problems. And I didn't, I didn't, my, my, my goal has always been to help everyone out no matter what they look like. And that's my job. That's what you sign up for, right? right. And uh, I want to do the best job for whatever community I'm in. And I, and my, and I learned there to understand the community, which I, you know, I did in my previous one, but really understanding the lay of the land. And what do you want to do? Do you want to change because it's easier for you, the, you know, the community, or is it the right thing? Or can you do a little bit of both? Do you have to respect the local, you know, mores and values, whether you agree with them or not, as long as it's not something, you know, something illegal or immoral, but you have to re respect them and then work inside that. And then you could get a lot of things. I mean, in there, one of my biggest issues, if I could say a real quick story, do you mind? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love a story. So in that community, because I, you know, I don't want people to think that that community was, was bad by any means. The, it was just a different challenge, especially from a city kid going into a suburb, mm -hmm. um, thinking that that was always going to be the, the easier thing. And it wasn't, it was different. Uh, the, the school, the, I'm sorry, the, the city or town newspaper was like Facebook for adults. So they would put all the letters to the editor. And when I got there, they slammed me. They slammed me for my salary. They slammed me for uh, writing a book. They slammed me for everything. I remember and, that. 
and I reached out to them and I said, hey, you know, if you have issues or questions with the high school, just let's talk. Right. So they went from where they, they were slamming me and it was the senior forum um, to where I became a member of the senior forum, which is what their, their you know, the small group was called mm-hmm. to the point where we, we met on a regular basis and I really respected them and they liked to hear what I was saying about what was happening with young people today. Mm-hmm. I love to hear all of the old stories about the town because they had that really cool, interesting thing about, did you know this place used to, ha- used to have, uh, you know, a racetrack and did you know this place was where, you know, ladies of the night would, you know, perf- you know, like uh, you, it was like all of the, the town lore and it was fantastic we both learned from each other to the point where when I left that that district uh because I was going to be I had two offers to be a superintendent and I didn't get the job there uh they wrote a letter saying that you're not going to find a better person to be superintendent and I love that story you know because it's kind of like I instead of fighting against them I was like hey listen let's just figure this out I mean and uh, they were fantastic people and like I said I learned a lot about the community from them they were became my advocates and then uh, after that, you, you, uh, I just got caught doing the right thing. Sometimes people get caught doing the wrong thing. <laughs> I got caught doing the right thing. And a guy who was uh, a retired superintendent was working in that district, mm-hmm. liked my work ethic, uh, liked my uh, what I was doing. And pretty much because of my history in East Orange and Essex County, I became the superintendent for the Essex County Schools of Technology, formerly known as Essex County Votech, we changed it to Essex County Schools of Technology. That was one of the things that I did and uh, to rebrand ourselves. And along that time, I, you know, got my doctorate and I've been engaged in, you know, a couple of of books, a a lot of articles and um, a lot of research. I do, I work for one of the the nicest kind of part-time jobs that I have now is being teaching uh, chapter two for the dissertation for Delaware Valley University. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I just got uh, working on being a dissertation chair for uh, for uh, Grand Canyon University. I work at Montclair as well. Uh, and I also do, uh, I do the CTE requirements. It's career technical education, alternate route for Brookdale. And I do leader to leader mentoring for the state of New Jersey to help out new uh, administrators uh, who get there, you know, you, you have to do a two year residency. So right. those are the kind of things that I do educationally. And I love to write. Uh, I love to, that's my other part of my thing that I do. And I'm, we're working on uh, a woman who I, who was, uh, I served on her dissertation committee. We turned her chapter into uh, one chapter, her, her chapter two into a a chapter for another book, and then she and I are editing uh, another book for IGA Publishers, which is uh, publishers for uh, integrating technology into the classroom. So, and then that's it. And then I, you and know, then that's it. Uh, a father of three, and you know, doing those things. Not much. Not much. I, I, I want to say. I mean, I love that. Um, not even I love the work ethic that you describe. Is mm-hmm. I think what you know, just in full disclosure, we met back in, in East Orange and yep. thankfully to you, when I was still a classroom teacher, you, you know, passed a couple of out of the classroom um, responsibilities to me to, to kind of see a different view of, of what it looked like to, to be in and, and run a school. And, and I respect that. And I appreciate that because I definitely think that it helped me understand how I could help more. You know, I, you, you know, you, you, you said it jokingly that, you know, you were doing all sorts of things outside of the title, but it, it's that passion that um, makes the school run, 
right? It's like yep. trying to find those those holes because there's always holes. Like a, a, a school is an organization. It's almost like an organism, right? It's a, li yep. a living, breathing thing that always needs something to, to be addressed. And, and something stood out when you were talking about uh, the two different types of school districts uh, mm -hmm. where we met in East Orange and then the suburban one, that it was really just about the relationships. Yep. It was about the relationships and and so 10 you know in in an urban area there tends to be a different relationship with school right like kind of like hey school you take care of it we'll just continue doing what we're doing out here and the opposite when you're in the suburbs so it changes who you have to uh invest in yep. for the relationships but it still comes back to the people and knowing your customers and, and i i phrase that with our staff now and sometimes people you know, kind of look at me sideways when I say customers, but I, I really, we have to shift to that model being these, these parents and these students are all, they don't buy anything without checking the reviews. Right. That's true. So, and they know a lot of things. So we have to really shift that to a real customer based, uh, you know, model within, within education, of course, right. you know, it has to be, uh, you know, somewhat modified, but yeah, you, we have to do that. And, and, and what I found is, is that, you know, if your passion, you know, the passion speaks for yourself and you have to be able to, to, to fulfill whatever that community needs. Yes. And understand it a little bit and understand what needs to be changed, what, what you can leave alone, right. uh, what has to be changed entirely, what do you leave alone and what can be tweaked? Yes. And it's that simple, really. I agree. So when you're talking about serving the community as the superintendent for the schools of technology, you're offering skills to yep. students who might not find that academic success where people have this sometimes unrealistic push of everyone going to college. Yep. Uh, what is the view from the top in these times in, yeah. you know, just period, not just in, in that type of district, but just what, is it, what does it look like from the superintendent's chair? Well, the, the in the pre-COVID times, mm -hmm. one of the things that was tough for me to do was to try to translate myself. You know, when you're a mm -hmm. building-based person, and I love being in buildings, I, I I remember just being in places and the, when I was a principal, even a system principal, everybody thought that I knew every single kid's name. They, mm -hmm. they thought I knew their whole dossier, which which was not true, but they thought that because I I gave this appearance and, and um, so it, it, that that's re that's really important to do. Uh, so right. I the first challenge was trying to how do I do that as that my personality to fit this job as a superintendent. So what I did was engage in a lot of stuff. I used to meet with the student councils for lunch. I would bring them together for pizza so I could hear the kids. Mm -hmm. I met with the parents regularly. Uh, so I did a lot of those things to translate that. So much so where kids would actually send me directly requests for uh, for um, uh, recommendation letters or uh, the, the best story was I would walk around they and I love this uh, even if they don't know my name they knew I was a superintendent right <laughs> so, uh, like what's my name they're like I don't know you're the superintendent like, right I want me the best story that I have uh, which these kids came up to me and they said you know we have black history month we have women's history month hispanic heritage month how can we don't do anything for the island kids why don't you do it and I was like whoa, whoa why don't you do it right like, what? And I was like, get it together, right? Because they were like getting it. They were already in that mode of like, mm -hmm. hey, we're gonna we're we're gonna get together petition. I was like, no, no, no. And I had known these kids, and they were like really very because I'd seen them around and I engaged in many conversations with them. So I already knew that they were they had a lot of good fire in their bellies, right? Yes. They said no, organize it, just organize it. 
And right. I was like, because they were giving me this whole rationale, like thinking I was going to go against it. They were like, because there are black people in the Caribbean, Hispanic <laughs> people in the Caribbean, you know. Like, Little do they know, right? <laughs> yeah, like, right. So they're, so they're doing all these things. I was like, that's fine. And then I was like, organize it. And they organize it themselves. And, and since then, we've had our, I think it's June Caribbean uh, Pride Month. Mm -hmm. so that everybody could feel feel good because what that's the whole thing when you're doing inclusiveness yeah it's an exhausting job because you you can't stop it's one right. of those things where once you open that that door you can't be kind of inclusive right right and, and 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 as we change now with with a lot of groups coming together in our country which is great yeah. i mean blending uh, a lot of different families so you have kids who could fit in two three or four different groups or, or months right right so that you have to make sure you take care of all that. So that was so that was a big thing for me, and I was very proud of that. And meeting with the kids and getting into there because I really needed to make sure that I understood, like that's that touchstone. Whenever mm -hmm. I used to get upset in East Orange or even in South Plainfield, whatever, and even in, in Essex County, mm -hmm. I'll go and hang out with the kids. Yes. And then remember, it's like, oh, that's why I'm here. That's yeah. why I'm supposed to do this because the adults will, oof, they could be, they could be they could be challenging, right? They could be a lot. <laughs> and I had to learn too, that if you want to treat the students, it's kind of like you got to treat, you know, the teachers Yes. because it gets to them. So I used to think, well, you're here for a paycheck and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized as a leader, no, you got to take care of them too, so that they take care of the kids. And it's yes. this whole trickle down kind of kind of thing. So that was, that was, I was very proud of that. And then this happened. Now we were fortunate We've been paying, we had been paying attention. We also, since we branded ourselves to schools of technology, we ensured that we already had, this was before last March, every student already had a laptop. Oh, I love it. Uh, we already had required students. And this was, once again, um, I have to say, whatever I say now or anything I've ever done, it's always team. It's always, it's not me. It's always everybody else. And you know, it's all of my other team members working hard at, at every single point of my life. It's never been me. It's been somebody right. who's kind of partnered with me or gave me a, a chance to do something. So it's always a we. Uh, so, but we already had required the teachers to have some kind of online component for their lessons at all times. Mm -hmm. And we were watching, uh, unfortunately, we were watching what ha was happening in first in, in Europe and then seeing what happened in California. And that was happening, I think, in January. And I started to pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. And I got my team together and I said, well, let's just get something. It looked like at that point, maybe we, we, there could be a possibility of going out, especially the first couple of uh, school districts out there that I had heard had to go remote. Right. So I said, let's get ourselves together. And probably in late February, we already started to put the skeleton of an online virtual school together on our website. It wasn't very sophisticated, but it was very kind of you. It was very user friendly, so that there was a there was a hyperlink for guidance, a hyperlink for the nurse, a hyperlink for the different teachers, mm -hmm. uh, administration, just to set it up. And then we started plugging in all of those lesson plans attached to each of the individual uh, each of the individual links. And we had a great uh, IT team, and they started to get it together. And that that I think it was March thirteenth. We were scheduled for a half day. PD, but instead we went the full day and that was before the governor over here said you have to go out. So we were, we were ahead of the game um, and we were very fortunate, uh, but, and so we got through the year and it was a lot of the school year 
And we knew this year was going to be very, very even more challenging because the expectations are, are much higher. Uh, because once you go out, and it, you know, a difference of emergency remote learning and then planned remote learning. Like you can't say in September, you didn't know this was going to happen. <laughs> you knew this. We had a lot of plans, but we were very fortunate. We worked really hard and we got the schools open for a hybrid model in October and okay. ran it to December. Okay. And we're opening back up uh, January 19th, the day after Martin Luther King Day. Okay. Uh, again. Now, okay. now we're different and some and, and who knows what's going to happen after this. At, you know, years after this, people will say who was right and who was wrong. But in the midst of all of this, I think as long as the leaders are making the right decisions based on their on their students and their district, I don't think anyone could really be culpable. Like we are, are, are in Newark, they're out until April. In East Orange, they're out till April. Uh, but yet the place where I live, I live out in the in Western New Jersey, my younger kids, two of them are in school five days a week. So there's this very interesting kind of thing where no one's happy. No. So, so what we did was we had a hybrid model. Now remember, we have career technical education. So we have automotive. Yes. We have certified we have certified nursing assistants. We have cosmetology. We have culinary arts. We have robotics. We have law uh, law and public safety. We have carpentry. We have welding. Uh, we have all of these other things. And what I said was this: I had to make some kind of decision, and 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 it was in the best interest of kids that we're going to open our schools in the hybrid model, and the parents will have a choice because we are preparing the next generation of essential workers. If we don't get these kids ready for automotive and get them under the cars, how are they going to get a job as soon as they graduate high school? Then you're going to perpetuate this problem. Right. If we don't take care of our certified nursing assistants, who's going to be there in June or July to help out that fill that void uh, or preparing meals, you know, and it goes on and on and on and on. And the parents are okay because they still have a choice and right. what we're going to be doing is increasing the number of times the kids can come for those kids who want to come we'll increase the number of days safely okay and the ones who don't want to come can still remote uh, learn remote but it's it's challenging how do you how can you learn welding remotely you can't so that was my philosophy and that was what made us different than other comprehensive school districts we only have three high schools 2300 students but yeah. they're and 100% of them are involved in some kind of career, technical education. Now, many of them go to college, but some of them are going straight from high school into their jobs. I mean, they're right. going into become auto, uh, auto techs. They're going right. into animal sciences. They're going into all these things right away. So that was my stance. And uh, where we come, to, as I said, we, we opened back up on uh, January 19th. I've also at this point now was able to accommodate more teachers we have about 60% of our teachers who, can, who are coming in and about, you know, 30 something uh, percent who are working at, at home. Mm -hmm. And now we already know that from the, the, the governor's executive orders, those who are in the high risk category, we know that they have the medical exemptions. But what we also did too was, and we also had to make allowance for childcare issues. Right. But we expanded that in good faith to the teachers to also include if you have a spouse or you live with someone who is in a high risk. So right. therefore, if your husband was high risk and you're not, yes, but you could possibly bring it, uh, you know, bring the, the virus home, we're going to allow you to stay home as well. Uh, right now, the numbers dictate that, you know, that are allowing me to do that because 
the number of students participating in our hybrid model are like 25%. If, if maybe even less than that, about 20% of the kids are coming in, 20, 25% of the kids wow. are coming okay. in, rotating in. Yeah. Uh, but we want to be there for them. We want to, and, and our CTE teachers, the ones who work with their hands, they want the kids in there. Right. Because you can't, right. teach, whether you're doing culinary, whether you're, whatever you're doing, it's really, there's only so much you could do. Right. So that's that's what we're doing right now. And and we've been we've been chasing it, monitoring it, you know, we had a pivot from school safety and school shootings to now, you know, <laughs> me being a, a virologist, 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 right? Where I, I have, yeah, where I have, where I'm working with the the county health officer, right, closely to monitor whether a kid has something or or, a, a, and we were we've also played it really, really um, conservative as well, where if a student was exposed to somebody, we told that student stay home, right, until. You either find out that other person tested positive or negative, or you are symptomatic, you know, symptom free for whatever the number of days that we have. Right. And so that's what we've been doing so far. And we're just going to keep moving. And if we have to go out again, I keep telling all the teachers that we're going to go out, but we're planning for this. And we're also, I told the teachers, we're planning for a very interesting September because I don't think it's going to be, uh, I don't think it's going to be entirely out of our system. Uh, so we, we, we should anticipate, I would say, at least 30% of our students not coming back in September wanting still to be remote. Right. Uh, that being said, we've had to change our game. So we had, a, we, we had to, uh, is this okay? Yeah, this yeah. is great. I so, love it. <laughs> so this year, what we did was, so we, we finished strong last year. Well, not really, but we finished last year. Yeah. And then we had up our game. We had to change our platform because we wanted to make it more comprehensive. We had to, to you know, Zoom, of course, was the, the, the pretty much uh, the go-to app. But then we had to make sure that we had issues dealing with the, uh, privacy and things like that. So we changed that. We also did some stuff where, our, once again, our team got together. Uh, virtual servers so that this way if you were in uh, in engineering and architect class and doing CAD you couldn't do run CAD on a, a Chromebook no. because it but what you do is we run it through our virtual servers so that you load the software onto the virtual server don't ask me how this all is done I, <laughs> it but it's got, it, it works <laughs> and, and I know it cost me a lot of money but this is what our cares money okay. went to so that this way, all of those software, all of that stuff is on there and it doesn't take up the memory of the, the Chromebook. It's, I guess it's kind of like running something on the cloud pretty much or yeah. running it from a, 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 an external website. So, right. and that's how, and so we upped that, we had to, we had to modify things and we just, you know, we had a, we, what we did was we, we shifted the, 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 um, uh, the, the schedule so that the kids were done by 1 30. Mm -hmm. uh, we had, you know, we had to re reimagine things and, and there's not really a, a lot of guidance uh, that we're getting from places, a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas, but as far as directives, that's really up to the individual district. And right now we're pivoting. We're in second semester starts. This starts really next week, but we're starting a little early. Mm -hmm. Every Wednesday now is social emotional learning. Uh, where we do stuff with the, it's makeup day for the kids. Right. It's also social emotional learning, uh, and then it, and then we 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 can plug in some other building based fun activities. So if you're doing your work on, uh, then Wednesday's a good day for you as a kid. You right. can do some fun stuff. You get your clubs and and stuff like that. But if you're if not, there's also for you to make up. And w at this point now, I'm telling the teachers we just have to engage the students. I, I would rather a kid 
be engaged and fail a class yes then then have kids who are suicidal and have all these other issues i want them next year we'll figure it all out the educate we'll catch them up yep but i they can't be caught up if they're not there and they're not alive right so and i had to put it like that too and i had and and sometimes when i talk to the teachers i have to phrase things in such a way that they hear it like i say that these you know because sometimes they get into the regular routine of kids aren't showing up they don't care blah 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 you know and it's the normal teacher stuff and it's frustrating absolutely but i had to tell them this is tough being a kid it's tough being a kid in a city you know when you live in a house and you could go in your backyard and you could spread out or you have four or five different rooms you could go zoom from but if you have a one bedroom two bedroom that's tough yep. you haven't been out you have been walking that's tough and then i also told them this too which i got a little heat from i said you know we have to be mindful of these young people you and I could be the last generation of people who know what a pension is. Ooh. And now think about how tough that is. Yeah. Now, granted, maybe you, maybe some people, I don't know how they interpreted that, but I had to say, sometimes you got to say those things like these kids don't won't know what a pension is. I mean, no. even if I don't even know if the teaching profession, that's a whole different story, but I just wanted to frame it that what did they have to look forward to? Right. You know, all of the little things that, that, proms and all the little milestones nobody remembers their algebra 2 test they remember who they took to the prom they remember what happened after that so that's what and i think that's what we learned too is that high school is more than just education it is preparing for life but it's also that socialization it's about the connectedness it's about kids finding their voices and figuring out who they are so so we're pivoting now to do those Wednesdays to, okay. to help them and support them. And of course, we're doing stuff to help support the teachers. We're, we're decreasing their, their time and letting them be a little bit more flexible with it because we understand that they have some stressors as well. And then we started up our, our attendance task force where uh, we're going through, through the students who are not coming in. And I, I also had to tell the teachers, I meet with the teachers every Wednesday on a Zoom. We do it every week. I, last year, I started it. Uh, remember, uh, what was it FDR used to do the fireside chat? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, I did that every morning when we went out in March, thinking we were going to be out for two months. Mm-hmm. I then felt like I couldn't stop doing it because people were telling me, <laughs> my teacher was telling me, I don't even watch the news. I just wait for you to tell me what's going on in the morning. Right. So, so then, you know, what, 70 days later or whatever it is, I'm like, I'm trying to figure out things to say in the morning. I don't know what <laughs> to say. I had guest host. I had to have my director kind of help me. Do, I ran out of things to, to say because right. it, it was a good idea when you thought it was two weeks, but when you realize right. it was going to be another four months, it was crazy. But now I only do it once a week. I keep them I keep them up to date with what's going on, and uh, and and worrying about their social emotional health as well. Uh, lastly, though, one of the the big news is two of our schools, and I and we're very proud to to be part of this because it's I think it's going to be historical. Two of our schools are vaccination sites in the county. Oh, that's wonderful. Two of them are, are, and now whatever people feel about the vaccines, I mean, because I understand there's a lot yeah. of history that, and I, you got to be sensitive. So absolutely, but I, I think what's going to happen. those that want it, you right, all. Those who want it. And, and I think that in the future, if they could figure this out uh, in September, if they want to get things back, and I know uh, President-elect Biden is working on this 100-day plan, you got to do one or two. You either have to take the vaccine or be tested on a weekly basis. Yeah. You know, one or the two, and I think that's fair. I right. think that's very fair that you got to do one or the other, and just to mitigate those and get. We've realized 
we are these we're a giant cog in this whole machinery of our country and yeah. i don't know if anyone ever saw that and just like people underestimated the you know they're calling you know remember the, when they pivoted and they called people who worked for um in the food industry essential workers yes uh, grocery stores essential workers yeah no one they never called them that before until no. they realized how major a, a role they played so the same thing with us they need to really figure it out because you can't get you can't get the world back together unless you have somebody watching the kids and that's what we do and you can't do that if half the teachers have kids that they have to watch themselves their own biological children and so the admin, yes <laughs> you got to figure it you got to figure it out and maybe even uh, figure out ways to test the kids as well to help to help uh deter that as well but so besides that you know it's been pretty easy it's been pretty well i just i i i I'm almost I'm, I'm like speechless and that that doesn't happen a lot i feel so inspired i feel i can feel the energy from you i mean we're on video right because we're on zoom and the video won't be in the podcast but i can feel it coming from you like that same passion when you were running around the schools <laughs> running around uh east Orange campus high schools together i still feel it and, and what you have, it's like problem solving and it's in its relationships. And the only thing that has changed is, is what's around you. Yeah. And I want to thank you. Oh, uh, and not, I don't mean just for this, for, you know, this time on the podcast, but I want to, I want to thank you for doing this work and, and we need more yeah. like you. Well, you're doing fantastic. I always, I, be, I believed in you in day one. Oh, so uh, this is, this is, uh, this is of no surprise to me. I mean, I, I, if you were if you were a stock, you were like kind of Bitcoin or Tesla <laughs> or Amazon, and I got in at a very very you did in the, on the ground level. Very, very <laughs> level. So, but this is how we do it, right? This is how it, we only we have this little this little power to do these little things. I can't change the rest of the world, but our right. little pieces. If we do that, I mean, it, it's good things can happen. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, again, thank you so much for thank this. Thank you. My pleasure is mine. Yes, yeah, so we will speak outside of this, but uh, I'll let you know when the episode is coming out and please, you know, keep, keep doing the good work. Will do. Thank okay. you. Bye. Wonderful seeing you again. Bye-bye. You too. Excellent. You know, endless thanks to Dr. James Peterson for taking time out of his busy schedule as superintendent of the schools of Essex County Schools of Technology in New Jersey and uh, family life with his beautiful family to uh, speak with little old me. You know, uh, I am always here for some conversation, for some insight, for some sharing. And, and I really appreciate him having uh, made time for me. After his conversation in our uh podcast episodes, I, I like to focus on takeaways, right? Because it's when we talk about reading comprehension, because yes, this is a conversation with um, folks in and around the educational space and we're sharing and creating best practices, but there's also some instructional modeling here, right? So when we talk about reading comprehension, it's not just enough to listen or read the words on the page. There has to be some understanding that takes place. And one way to uh, assess that understanding of whatever took place within whatever time span of a, of a lesson or a sharing or a reading or an assignment is uh, an exit ticket, right? And so my exit ticket is called Stuck on You. And an exit ticket is an instrumental technique, right? Instrumental, 
instructional. See, I, I, I span between music and education. It's an instructional technique. And basically it's a quick and ungraded formative assessment that teachers can use to gather information also known as data. You know we love the data, y'all. <laughs> but uh, you use this information or data to understand what has actually been absorbed or understood by your students and what might need revisiting because revisiting and uh, pivoting is often part of the educational exchange, right? So my exit ticket is called Stuck on You, as I said like three times already. And... Uh, it's stuck on you, like the Commodore song written by the super talented Lionel Richie. And uh, if you're unfamiliar, stuck on you. I got this feeling down deep in my soul that I just can't lose. Guess I'm on my way. Needed a friend. And the way I feel now, cause I'll be with you till the end. Guess I'm on my way. I love that song. So <laughs> in this exit ticket scenario, um, I am the student. So I, I'm actually the student and the teacher, right? So I am looking to offer what it is that I'm walking away with. What are my takeaways after this conversation with Dr. Peterson? And uh, to collect these responses in the distance learning format, you know, you can use the, the chat in whatever platform you might be using for your virtual classroom. You can use Kahoot, you can use Google Forms, whatever it is that you're familiar with. But my uh, three takeaways, number one, know your audience. And knowing your audience be it suburban or urban or white or black or whatever the differences are, or not even the difference, the characteristics are of your audience is important in being able to reach them. And I have to say on a personal note, this was the light bulb that went off for me when I was transitioning from being on stage as a performer to being in the classroom. When I realized that the classroom was my audience and I was charged with engaging them in the same way that I was engaging an audience when I performed, let me tell you, my eyes opened and it just, I grew as an educator and just opened up as far as being inspired and how to to increase uh, that engagement. So knowing your audience is analysis, right? You, you need to look at who you're working with and for and, and understand what's important to them and what it is that they're willing to do to get it. Number two, my second takeaway is that uh, relationships drive the machine. So where, you know, my first takeaway was the analysis. Um, the second is the practice. So relationships driving the machine, what are you going to do with the knowledge that you have gained? It's not enough to just have information and not put it into practice, right? And, you know, number three, my third takeaway is that it's always a team. You know, Dr. Peterson said it several times. Uh, it's always a team. It's always we. You know, his journey has inspired his leadership style or informed his leadership style where he is empowering the people around him to be their best, to dig deep and, uh, you know, take risks and do what's best for kids, uh, which is very much my leadership style, which is service. I tell my teachers all the time, I am here to help you be better. That's the role that I play. 
as much as I miss being in front of the classroom and I love the energy and the interaction with the students, that's not the nature of a building-based administrator, right? Like I have I have moments in time with students. But but my focus, my responsibility, my obligation is to support the people that are uh, on the front line, per se, with uh, our next generations. So as I said in the intro, uh, today, as I'm recording, it is um, Martin Luther King Day 2021. And Though Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. stands out as one of the one of the more prominent uh, figures in in American history, right? Um, he by far was supported by a team, and each year on this day, I, I always think about his letters from a Birmingham jail, and and I want to read, uh, you know, to the group. <laughs> read to the group my, one of my favorite um, observations of his and this is from his letter from a Birmingham jail and Dr. King says I must confess that over the past few years I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in the stride toward freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with you in the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by a mythical concept of time and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. And considering um, the events of not just the past four years, but the past 12 days, I urge you to ask yourself, what is it that you're willing to do to move forward? Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing this time with me. I appreciate you being here and uh, see you next time. for listening to this thing called school. Please help grow our community by telling a friend, leaving a five-star review wherever you're listening to your podcast, and following us on Instagram at this thing called school. Bye!